Shmuel Arachai, unbelievable. So uh, I think actually, I don't know whether it was the last year or this year before, one of them got cut off after about 20 minutes or something, maybe. Maybe <coughs> it was Thursday when you weren't here, so. Because <coughs> I noticed that it, it downloaded too fast, so I checked it and it was like 15, 20 minutes and then uh -huh. died. Okay, in Ois Ches, we started talking about the fact that even, even uh, Milchoma can ultimately be connected to the level of Padabashalom. <coughs> Why? Because we said Milchoma Nami is Chalta de Gula. A war is also the beginning of redemption. Right? And then the Rabbi began to explain the Indian of Messiris Nefesh. By asking the question, we got as far as the question, even though we had, we had uh, no, I'm sorry, we went past the question. We saw the question on Wednesday, we went a little past the question on Thursday. On Wednesday, we saw the question, which was, how can it be that the stories of the Mittler Rebbe and the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe and the Mittler Rebbe, in that order, even though in terms of Kislev, first the story of the Mittler Rebbe, because that happened on Yud Kislev, next Sunday, a week today, we'll celebrate the liberation of the Mittler Rebbe from jail, and then in two weeks we'll celebrate the liberation of the Alter Rebbe from jail. Now there's no question, your test Kislev is a much bigger day, a much more important day, etc., called the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, because the, the accusations against the Alter Rebbe in physical terms were very serious, but in, in spiritual terms were even more serious. And that will be discussed around the time of uh, your test Kislev, etc., <coughs> at length, I'm sure. But why is it that their, their stories are called stories of Padilla B'Shalom? We know they were in jail. There was tremendous milchama. They had to overcome unbelievable odds, unbelievable uh, opposition. The czar's government, etc. So why is that Padilla B'Shalom? Right? So the Rebbe explains that this is understood by what the, free, by what the Mittler Rebbe says. I'm in the middle of the page, just reviewing what we did on Thursday. This is understood by what the Mittler Rebbe says. We didn't get far in the Mimer on Thursday because we had to discuss the Indian of Messiris Nefesh a lot. That the Indian of Pada B'Sholem Nafshi, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to read from there. V'yuvan okay, middle of the paragraph. V'yuvan Zeh, Pima Shemavar, Bala Geula B'Mimer. This can be understood by what the Bala Geula, meaning the Mittler Rebbe, says. In his Mimer, the Mimer Pada B'Sholem that this Mimer is based on, the Inyan Pada B'Sholem Nafshi Bavedas Adam, the Inyan Pada B'Sholem Benafshi in in the in the service of a person, and what does that mean? Shapadia the Nefesh Elokis, the freeing of the Nefesh Elokis Mihagolus the Nefesh Abamis from the Golus it experiences from the Nefesh Abamis, which we talked about at length on Thursday. Also, he even the Sholem. It's in an oifen of sholem, and what does that mean? There's no opposition from the nevesh abamis. How can that be? When is that in a person's aveda? Who nefesh? That's when the aveda is mesiris nefesh, self-sacrifice, and mesiris nefesh gufa, mesiris nefesh itself, mesiris nefesh diyechid. Okay, we mentioned there's five different levels of soul, which probably could be written on the board because it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. 
why I always well, I guess we're not riding on the board because I'm not going to go downstairs into the office to be in the market right now. Well, there's always one hidden back there, but I guess it's uh, we'll have to find another couple of books to hide it and back up for a few months, and then someone will take it. We'll do it again. Okay, nefesh from the bottom, nefesh ruach neshama chaya yechida. Nefesh ruach neshama, the three aspects of the soul that are clothed in the body, power the body, give the body its energy from a spiritual source. Nefesh ruach neshama, nefesh responsible for action, ruach is midas, also speech, and and, uh, neshama, intellect, Source of intellect, that part of your soul that's in Gan Eden right now, while you're down here, it's in Gan Eden, experiencing tremendously powerful revelations of Elokus. You're not conscious of that down here, so it has only a very residual effect, even though we know it has an effect because Yidin somehow are connected to Yiddishkeit in a rather bizarre way, and that is often revealed in rather interesting ways, in ways that are definitely super conscious, not part of their conscious decision-making, they just somehow feel uplifted in certain situations. That can very much be a function of Chayesha Benefesh, right? And that is also the source of Ratzon. Ratzon, we know, being a, a, or a Makif, a, a, a Kayach Makif, an all-encompassing uh, power as opposed to a power that's clothed in the goof. So that's the Ratzon of the Nefesh Elokis. And then what's the name of the essence of the soul. Right? There is actually, on some level, the essence itself. right? But the name of the essence of the soul is that place of oneness where a Jew is essentially connected to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, where a Kaddish Baruch and the Jew are one. And basically impossible to distinguish between the Abishar and the soul. <coughs> and that's the essential nature of every single Jew. Okay? And it's about that that the Tzemach Tzedek answered the... Uh, it was that level that the Tzemach Tzedek used to answer the question of the philosopher that we all know about. Right? So, specifically the Rebbe says, Mesiris Nefesh comes from Yechidah Nefesh. Now the Rebbe's going to explain. We saw this on Thursday, and we did just a little further on Thursday. We didn't get very far. We a lot of it was outside. Now Yedei Mesiris Nefesh Shemitzad Chaya. That is a result of the Mesiris Nefesh that comes from Chaya Shebenefesh. That means a Jew becomes absolutely. It becomes absolutely clear to the Jew that what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants from him is what has to happen, and the opposing forces, whatever they might be, whether they're internal or external, those those forces don't have any control over the Jew in any way, shape, or form. Right? And it's absolutely clear that his Ratzon, this comes from Chayesh Benefesh, his Ratzon, his will is to maintain a connection to a Kaddish Baruch Even if there might be some very dangerous force outside of him that's trying to get him to lose that connection, act in a way that might weaken that connection, won't do it. That's called Messiah's Nefesh. He might even be willing to give up his life to do it. Okay. That, the source of that can be Chayesh Nefesh. The Jew becomes absolutely clear of this very powerful connection to a Baruch Hu that he has, 
as a result of the fact that there's a level of his neshama that sees elokus, like you and I see a table down here. That level of his soul sees elokus in Gan Eden. And that level of his neshama expresses itself in his conscious reality here. And he doesn't want in any way, shape, or form to be separate from a Kaddish Baruch. And so he's not. He overcomes whatever external, could be internal, whatever external or internal force it is that's stopping him. That's one level of Mesiris Nefesh. But what happens? Naserak iskafya Nefesh Bahamis. That brings about simply the subduing of the Nefesh Bahamis, which is amazing and incredible and fantastic. But it doesn't bring about a complete and total nullification of the Nefesh Bahamis because the Nefesh Bahamis is still there. It's just dormant at that particular point. But what will happen? It'll show up again at some other point. Right? It's not that it disappeared. Right? Now, it, 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 not only will it show up at another point, it's there then. It's just dormant. Mind. It hasn't been completely eradicated. In other words, there's a revelation of a level of soul, and again, we talked about this on Thursday, there's a, lev- there's a, a, a revelation of a level of soul where there is a, 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 an opposing force on that level. There is a level of, so to speak, chayesh of nefeshabamis. What's that? The rutzen of the nefeshabamis. Nefeshabamis also has koyach makif. Also has a... a, a a, 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 an all-encompassing super-conscious reality. Usually we call it subconscious. Okay, said. But there's such a reality in the Nefesh Bahamis, absolutely. Subconscious you. Very powerful. Okay, what happens to that level of reality at the moment of Mesiris Nefesh when there's a revelation of Chayyush Ben Nefesh? It's dormant. It's overcome. Right? But it's there. It's there. Okay, so what's the difference between that and Yechida? So that's the Iskafia, the Nefesh So that's not exactly Sholem, meaning there's a Milchoma and I won. Even if I'm not necessarily consciously aware of the Milchoma, but there's two battling forces and one has completely overcome the other, at least in this particular point. But they're both there, so to speak. Okay. But what's Yechida? Ba Yedei Mesiris Nefeshim, he said Yechida Dafka. Yechida B'Shob Nefesh is the revelation of that point in the Jew. It's described in Chassidus Azoi V'Nit Andrish. This is what there is and there's nothing else. There's only a locus. That level of Aneshama that doesn't experience any reality other than godliness. It's not that it experiences other reality and realizes that godliness is more, is more uh, important than that other reality. <coughs> that I should overcome some other force in order to connect to God. That's not the experience of Yechidah Sheba Nefesh. Yechidah Sheba Nefesh experiences nothing but a Baruch Every single one of us has such a part of us. The, the essence of every single one of us is that level of reality. There's nothing other than God. Again, the language used to describe that Mesir's Nefesh. This is the way it is and there's no other way. The Marshal... Right, that we're talking about it. At that point in reality, it's absolutely clear there is no nefesh abhamis. There is no opposing force on the level of yechida. Every level of neshama has a corollary in nefesh abhamis, not yechida shab nefesh. There is no nefesh abhamis in that state of reality. It doesn't exist. Okay, and when that's revealed, so then 
uh, uh, the, the person's clarity in, 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 in terms of their connection <coughs> to Elokus is absolute. Might not last forever, might be temporary. The Rebbe explains that in, his, in the last Maimah that we got from the Rebbe, Atat Tetzavah, which we will learn. But, but um, the difference between Messir's Nefesh and another level the Rebbe actually refer, refers to, which is higher than that, called Kosi Slomavah. But in the meantime, Messir's Nefesh, what's that? Simply, <coughs> that separating from a Kaddish Baruch Hu is absolutely impossible. And it's not a matter of a cheshman, it's not a matter of a greater desire, it's just an existential state. I'll let you live if you let me cut off your head. It's not much of a... I mean, I don't have to want one or the other. I don't have to think about one or the other. I don't have to feel one or the other. I mean... That equation is sort of an obvious equation in terms of what's at stake. <coughs> what does that mean? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not going to let you cut off my head because that's not life. And what does that produce in a person? Shalom. Even though there's incredible milchoma happening outside, what's happening inside? Complete calm. It's completely nullified. And therefore, based on this, we can understand the connection, the pedia of the redemption that might be a milchoma, which is the Aveda Shemitzad Chaya. The, the avoidance of Chaya Shabbat there'll be a Milchama, just Chaya Shabbat wins. Which Ratzon is going to win? My, the Ratzon of my Nevesh Elokis overcomes the Ratzon of my Nevesh Bahamis in terms of a very, very serious challenge. And that's called Messir's Nevesh. Well, the Rebbe will talk about it. Messir's Nevesh doesn't mean that there's someone with a gun standing in my head. Messir's Nevesh means I'm willing to give up. The, the, the Friedrich Rebbe explains at great length in a particular mimer. Dafka. In the Kodesh Baruch Babatunya, the Maimer that we saw quoted by the Friedrich Rebbe in Basi Lagani. So in that Maimer, the Rebbe explains the Indian of Messir's Nevesh, Messir's Aratzon. He's not talking about Messir's Nevesh, of Yechid, Shabbat Nevesh. He's talking about Messir's Nevesh, of Chai, Shabbat Nevesh. What's that? Messir's Aratzon. Giving up your, your own Ratzon for the Abishnah's Ratzon. That's Messir's Nevesh. Because what's Nevesh? Ratzon. What are you? What do you want? Right? Like Jacob and I were talking about before class. Like, what do you want? Well, that's who you are. Right. Now that that doesn't mean that you 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 can overcome that 100, percent right? But I mean that's still you know in terms of the the the, the Baal Shem Tov said a person is where his rotsenes are. Meaning when a person thinks about where he's holding, think about what he wants. The person wants to sit on the beach all day and drink beer. Okay, he overcomes that and he sits and learns all day. Great. Who is he really? He's <laughs> sitting on the beach. He wants to drink beer. That's who he still is. I beside the Baruch Hashem, he's overcoming that and sitting and learning all day, which is amazing and incredible and fantastic. But don't get carried away with the, your own holiness if basically you're a guy who just wants to sit on the beach and drink beer all day. If that's where you're holding. You're like, ah, you overcome that because for whatever reason, good reasons, bad reasons, whatever the reasons are, it doesn't matter. Baruch Hashem, the person overcomes it. So there's a milchoma, right? But his rotzain is still something other than sitting and doing godly acts. 
Okay, so then where might the victory come from? This is Mesiris Nefesh, he's, he's overcoming his Ratzon, he's giving away his Ratzon, his Ratzon is he wants to sit on the beach. But that Ratzon is still very, 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 very powerful in him, so this is not Mesiris Nefesh from Yechidosh Shabbat Nefesh, from, from, from even Chayyosh Shabbat Nefesh, it's not that it's become clearly his Ratzon to connect to a Kaddish Baruch no, his Ratzon is to not to connect, body overcomes it. So this is probably an intellectual decision, might be coming from Neshama, might be coming from Ruach, Say more what he feels. He feels badly about himself if he sits on the beach, so he doesn't. He sits in Zal. Whatever. Still, Messiah's Nefesh. Mamish Messiah's Nefesh. He like overcomes a Ratzah, and then he's Mamish. It's hard work for him. Call Kavod. Well done. But, you know, let's not call him a Tzaddik, right? What he really wants to do is sit on the beach and drink beer all day. So that's where he's holding. Okay. Is what he doing? Is what he's doing irrelevant? What he does is the most important thing. That's incredible. Amazing. What a guy. But when he thinks about who he, no one knows what his real Ratzin is, right? He's the only one who knows that. So when he thinks about himself, he has to realize, you know what? Maybe I have some work to do. What they say about him when they say a hesped or the shepherd brachas, I don't know. I mean, that's a it's a separate issue. Okay. Valpiza Yuvan Akeshit Apiti Bedech Milchoma, which is what? The avoid of any level whatsoever other than Yechidish Abenefesh. Because there's an opposing force. There's an opposing force in me trying to get me to do something other than what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants me to do. Or there might be an opposing force outside of me where therefore there's part of me that's wondering how do I relate to this opposing force. That story about uh, Kalman Druk showing up with milk on Shavuos for Kiddush, that's Mesir's Nefesh. Simple Mesir's Nefesh, nothing, nothing fancy, but what? Doesn't matter where you, where you are, what you're doing, what the situation is. You can always find a reason that whatever situation I'm in, I can't fulfill God's will properly in this situation. Or you find out how to fulfill God's will properly, even in that situation. The first one is just sort of a cop out. The second one is Mr. Nevish. Not Mr. Not you know nothing serious. Not the, you're not going to write a book about the guy, but it's called Mr. Nevish. Well, this person's giving up his own rutzen in order to make sure that the Kaddish Baruch's rutzen is fulfilled. So, so Kalman, very simply, it wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't an act of heroism. But Kalman, it doesn't matter that we're sitting in the middle of nowhere in green uniforms with guns on Shavuos. We have a milk at Kiddush. So he went and found milk. <laughs> we had cookies and milk. That's just what you do. Why? It's not a big deal. That was Kalman. Yeah, that's what I learned from Kalman, spending a couple of months together in the army. We, we did Milouin together for a few years. Definitely learned a lot about being a chassid from being in the army with Kalman. Uh, you know, it's funny, because when I mentioned the friends I was in with Kalman, who knew him, people who grew up with him, knew him, who Kalman, who uh, Kabbalah Solnik. Kalman just does what you're supposed to do. There's no questions. Doesn't, no, he's not fancy. Something has to get done, Kalman gets it done. Uh, opposition... Complications. So you got to do with anything. Right. Kalman moved to Be'er Sheva, grew up in Kfarchabad, moved to Be'er Sheva, opened a school for Jewish kids, had 900 kids in his school. 
Now his school is much, 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 much smaller. Why? Well, because Shas opened up. Well, you know, Shas is the Svardi religious party. So there wasn't such a thing when Kalman went to Beersheba. So who took care of the Svardish kids in Beersheba? Kalman Druk. Right? Then Shas opened up. Vlad <coughs> Yosef opened up a political party that also is doing amazing work with Svardish kids in the south. And they opened up schools, so then a lot of the kids went to schools run by Svardim, which made sense, right? So Kalman school went down to about 250 kids, okay? But, you know, what did Kalman do? He went to Beersheba and just opened the school, okay? He did, that's what he told him to do, that's what he did, and that's what happened, 900 kids. That's Kalman, very special guy, always with a smile. So it's not, it's not heroic. It's just, it's, it, it's a level of mysterious nefesh. The Rebbe's going to say every mitzvah is, a, is an expression of mysterious nefesh on a certain level. And we'll see what that means. And why that's important for our mimer. Either, I mean, that's a very high level. That where, the, where the person's rutzen is completely and totally connected to a Kodesh Baruch Hu's rutzen, person's will. Ulamata Yosef, lower. Avoida mitzad nefesh ruach neshama. The avoida that comes as a result of the person making an intellectual decision where it's absolutely clear intellectually what has to be done. So he overcomes a certain taiva based on an intellectual clarity, what's right, or emotion, feels it, or even none of that, but he still does it. <laughs> Just nefesh. He doesn't even have, doesn't feel it, doesn't understand it, nothing. He's okay. There must be some understanding, obviously, because he does it, but... <coughs> These are our external opposition. This is our external opposition. There's a connection of the to... And what's that? An explosion of the essence of a person's soul. So it's completely and totally calm and peaceful because there is no opposition. That doesn't mean there objectively there's no opposition outside, but that opposition poses no opposition. Absolutely clear what's at stake, and the Jew is not able in any way, shape, or form to transcend to transgress God's God's uh, uh, desires, and he, he transcends his own being and connects to Elokus in a in a in a hero- in truly a heroic way. That's usually Mesiris Nefesh Yechidah Nefesh. The stories we tell about the Hasidim in Russia, the Hasidim who just did anything to keep Yiddishkeit alive. What was the... The Russians wanted to close down a particular mikveh for health reasons. Right? Who was it? Who, who, do you know who it was? It's a famous story. Right? I don't know who it was, but I know the story. Yeah, so they wanted to close down the mikveh. I mean, you can imagine, it was just the most disgusting pool of water that ever existed in Seder East Auschwitz. It's just unbelievable. This, you know, must have been... It was a chunky you know, mikveh. It was, you know, I mean, you could walk on it. Right? And they say that's how he did it, right? He just went to one of the Siddisha mikvahs and he just walked in. That's the big deal. Union Street in the old days, I mean, you take a knife, cut a hole, jump in, and then come up. 
So, so it was one of those mikvahs. And the Russians wanted to close it down. Obviously, you know, they wanted to close it down because it was religious, but they, they used to clothe these things in some seichel. So it was, it was, a, uh, it was a health hazard. So one of the chassidim was in charge of the, 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 the mikvah, went to court to fight this thing, and then in court he took some of the water and he drank it. Showed it's not a health hazard, and he drank the water. Now, you should probably die by drinking. I mean, who knows what's in that water? Right? He drank it. Why? There can't not be a mikvah. There's no such thing. Just There's no such thing. Jewish women in Russia, what did they do in order to go to mikvah? Literally, they would go on the ice. <laughs> That's just what they would do. How do you, what do you, fine, okay, why? It's just like, you don't not go to the mikvah, there's no such thing. So they went, they would go in the winter and, fine. I mean, I think this is just, you know, Bachrim to Mimi being crazy, but okay, Baruch Hashem. It's also Azoyvinit Andrish. My son went to the Rebbe with the 10 or 15 friends when he was in Yeshiva. They went to, uh, they went to the Rebbe for Yud Shvat. And they came back, and they came back through, through Czechoslovakia. In those days, Czech Air had a flight, and they would, they, you would land in Czechoslovakia in the morning, and you would take off late at night, and, you, and they would give you a hotel room. They would give you a hotel room in Prague, and so you could go from the airport, spend eight, ten hours in Prague, have a hotel room, you could shower, get back on the plane and go, right? It was like very, they, that was known about Czech airlines. Right? Okay. So they flew Czech. That did just because it was a good ticket. They got a good ticket, so they flew Czech. Fifteen guys. Right? Fine. So they arrived in Czechoslovakia early in the morning. They went to their hotel, dropped off their stuff, went to the Chabad house and said, we need the mikvah. No. <coughs> no men in the mikvah. Okay, fine. Great. Prague. In Shvat, famous river. What is it? It's not the Danube. What's the river that runs through Prague? It's a famous river. It's not the Danube. That's Vienna. That's the Danube. The Danube's right. Anyway, whatever. There's a river. It runs a famous river. It runs through Prague. You know, lots of stories about the Maral and the river. Anyway. So they went down to the river. There was snow on the ground. They went down to the river. Now, there's two problems. One is people everywhere. <laughs> the second is it's freezing cold. <laughs> so what did they do? These nuts... These 17-year-old Lubavitcher Bochrim, they made a ring of 10 guys. Five guys got in the middle of the ring, took off their clothes, went in the river, came out, put on their clothes, joined the ring. Five went out of the ring, into the middle, took out they had three naglot, and they all got in the river and table. There was snow on the ground. The river was freezing cold. It was 35 degrees Fahrenheit, that water. Austin <coughs> has to go to mikvah in the morning. You know, not go to mikvah. Well, there's no such thing. Okay, so they went to Mikvah. What's the big deal? And of course, they live to talk about it, and it's fun, and it's Bachrim, and they're crazy, and okay, Baruch Hashem. Would he go now? He's a Balabas, you know, 35 years old with a bunch of kids. I don't know. He probably would, because he's Meshuggah. But okay. Right? As a Bachar? I mean, the idea of not going to Mikvah did not exist for those Bachar. There's no such thing. We're going to find a Mikvah. One, come, you know, one way or the other, we're going to find a Mikvah. Right, okay, so this guy won't let us go in a nice heated mikvah that's, you know, right here, like right next to, okay. Why? I don't know. I don't know why he wouldn't let them go. Whatever. Up to him. It's not up to him. I have no idea. I don't know what the, what the rules are in the mikvah in Prague. Right? He told them they can't go. <coughs> Is a man not allowed to go into a mikvah for, for, for women or vice no. versa? No. Okay, so, so that, you did say that 
they, that men weren't allowed in the mikvah. No, no. The, the, the rule there was men don't go in because women do. I mean, the the, the mikvah. you'll have a wonderful Jewish wife, and your wife will never understand your mikvah experience because her mikvah experience will be completely different than yours. Your mikvah experience is. No, you can use the same water. No problem. No problem. No problem. Except men are all naked in the room together, you know, with their dirty feet, walking in the dirty water on the floor in the mikvah, right? And then they all jump in the same pool together. Separately, they have their own little room. That sounds much nicer. Much nicer. No <laughs> comparison. So they cannot relate. I got scarred when I was 12 and a half. I went to the big, the busiest mikvah in uh, New York. You know, like Grand Central Station. It wasn't the best experience of my life. I can hear you. I can hear you. I remember there was a guy here, Leonardo, I think his name was. I don't know. There were two brothers. This, I think, was the second. I don't remember. Anyway, he came with us on a Shabbaton to Tiveria. And Shabbos morning, we forbringed all night Friday night. And then Shabbos morning, he okay, he came, he came, we like we slept along. He was been in the yeshiva for like four days or something. We slept along to the mikvah with everybody in Tiberia. So he'd never been to a mikvah in his life. Came to the mikvah. He didn't know what he was getting into. Walks in and there's this changing room full of these overweight Jewish men, naked. Right, so he's, so he's like stops at the door and uh, not going in there. So yes, you are. I wasn't with him. The bachur were with him. I, I was sorry. I had to zoom it out already. Yes, you are. No problem. Can't go in. He said, yeah, yeah, no problem. Look, everybody else is in there. They seem fine. No, no problem. They schlepped them in. Like threw them in the water. He came out. Came back to the hotel. Glory. This was the most, this was the greatest religious experience he had ever had in his life. Like once he overcame all the craziness and he came back, he pushed it, was glowing. And, 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 and he spent like three, three, six months, whatever, in yeshiva and Mamish got into it. And he's from today, he's from me and he, he, he followed his brother here and his, his brother was already into it and he got into it and the two of them were involved in film and made some interesting movies. Blah, blah, blah. But he got it, that, that was his, that broke the ice. In his relationship with the Kaddish Bar. Like, you, you would think that he wouldn't take a non-religious person to a mikvah for, like, introducing them into the religion, Well, you know? it depends. Yes and no, meaning on, on one hand, you're right. In terms of the external experience, it might be... On the, on the other hand, once you get them in the mikvah and then the internal experience takes over the external experience, so then they're in the shama. I mean, their goof, their body... And their body's consciousness, called the Nevesh Bamis, might find this very difficult to relate to. But once you get them past that, so then their Nevesh Elokis goes, wow, I've never experienced purity like that. Okay, it's, in, in, it might not be the, cl- the cleanest water. It was, the water was perfectly good. I mean, the water in the mikvah was fine. There were about three or four mikvahs, actually. It was a nice mikvah. Just the dressing room, like, freaked him out. He had never quite seen anything like that. The tennis club didn't look like that, evidently. He was, I think, Argentina, right? I think the tennis club in Buenos Aires didn't necessarily look like that, or the golf club, you know, was a little more goyish middle class. Jews. <coughs> yes, a mikveh is definitely an interesting experience. There's no question about it. 
but uh, it touches parts in us that we don't even know we have till we go to the mikveh. <laughs> okay. So now the Rebbe says something very, very important. We just said <coughs> the connection between the mysterious nefesh that comes from the essence of the soul and its connection to the mysterious nefesh of all the other levels of the soul. Everything a Jew does, there is in a hidden sense, the mysterious nefesh that comes from the essence of the soul. Read a couple of lines further and we'll explain this. As it explains in Tanya, the Eisekatara involving oneself in learning Torah and doing mitzvahs and davening, who inyan mesiris nefesh mamish. It's mesiris nefesh. What does that mean? That means a Jew has to overcome one state of will in order to connect to another state of will. He has to give up some of himself in order to connect to a Kaddish Baruch. I can't connect to a Kaddish Baruch if I don't give up a little bit of myself. I can't connect to another person if I don't give up a little bit of myself. Otherwise, I'm not connecting to the other person. I'm just a, a using them to somehow orbit around me in order to make my life more interesting, more fun, more whatever it happens to be, whatever this person's useful for. Right? But that's not a relationship with another person. That's just using another person as an object in my relationship with myself. Okay. Which, you know, can happen. It's not... It's not it's not the nicest thing in the world, but it can happen, okay. Or a person can give of themselves. That's the nature of any relationship. Allah has come become all the more so a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch means I have to give up a little bit, to get out of myself a little bit in order to connect to something outside of me. Now, connecting to the Abishta is rather interesting <coughs> because on one hand, I have to get completely out of myself in order to connect. On the other hand, what am I connecting to? The deepest place in me. So it's actually... <laughs> I'm actually finding the deepest place in myself by virtue of getting out of one half of myself in order to connect to the other. Getting out of the Nefesh Abhamis in order to bring about a revelation of the Nefesh Elokis, the godly soul, which is just the deepest place in me, an essential me, as opposed to conscious me. Okay, Beseder. So if I want it to be about me, I can still feel good. But, but it's not about me. That's exactly the point. And in order to have a relationship with the Kodesh Baruch, I have to get out of myself. I can use my relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, I mean, we won't call it a relationship, but we will, because I don't have a better word. But what, I can use my relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu to fulfill me. Okay, but then that's not a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, that's a relationship with me. This is fulfilling, it's uplifting, it's giving my life meaning. Oh, that's good, that's fine. But that's the beginning of the process. That's not where I want to get. Right? I want to get to a point where the relationship is not about me, it's about him. <coughs> That's really a relationship. <coughs> the Parsha we just read, amazing Sikh of the Rebbe, and Chayla Gimel. Eila told us Yitzchok ben Avram, Avram, Heili des Yitzchok. The Rebbe says those are the four levels of Avedis Hashem. Yitzchok, Avram, Avram, Yitzchok. Eila told us Yitzchok ben Avram, Avram, Heili des Yitzchok. Who's Yitzchok? Gvura. What's that? Yira. Fear, awe. Right. Who's Avram? Chesed, love. Fear and love. Fear and love of God. Okay, there's four levels of fear and love. There's what's called Yira Tata, lower level fear. <coughs> what's that? The person is afraid of the punishment. He's afraid of, the, of, of, of uh, 
of what other people might say. Okay, but but what's he doing? He's serving God based on that. Beautiful, amazing. At least he's serving God. That's the beginning of a relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Mm-hmm. It's not much of a relationship, but at least yira miloshin reiya yira. The same words for yira, which means awe or fear, are is also reiya to see. What is yira based on? Sensitivity to the fact that God is in my midst, that God is where I am. So the same way yira, yira tata would be the same way a person's ways tells him police around the corner and he slows down. So a person is, is sensitive to God's presence in his life and so he slows down in terms of a particular aveira that he might be on his way to do. Right? not the most sophisticated relationship, but okay, why? He's afraid of the Avera, he's afraid of the punishment of the Avera, whatever it happens to be. Okay. That's still self-serving, but Baruch Hashem, something, that's the beginning of it all. Then a level called Avram, what's the first level of Avram? Avazuta, small love. What's that? A level of loving a Kaddish Baruch but it's still somewhat self-serving to the extent that I experience an upliftedness as a result of this love, and that's where the love comes from. Then there's a higher level, Avarava, which is selfless love. I love a Kaddish Baruch, because Kaddish Baruch is worthy of my love. That's the second Avram. Eila told us Yitzchok ben Avram, Avram, and then ben Yitzchok. And the highest level is Yiro Yilah. This is all explained in Tanya. The highest level is Yiro Yilah. What's Yiro Yilah? What, what the Balatanya calls in, 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 the, <coughs> in Tanya, Yara Beishis. The embarrassment, what's that? I, I, I can't possibly separate myself from a Kaddish Baruch because I don't, want, I don't want to do anything to harm the relationship. Right? So that even the positive commandment becomes, even the, I'm sorry, the negative commandment becomes an expression of my desire to stay connected. Usually we think of positive commandments as a, as a, as a connection and negative commandments as, as somehow me being afraid of something. No. Even the negative commandment is an expression of an incredible love. When your wife says, please don't turn on the radio, I have a headache, why don't you turn on the radio? Because you're afraid she's going to hit you over the head with a pan? No. Because you love her and you don't want to do anything that will, that will in any way, shape, or form harm the relationship. So you won't turn on the radio because she's got a headache. But if you do turn the radio on, she will smack you in the head with a pan. No, she won't. No, she won't. She'll just realize she's living with a jerk. But she might have figured that out a long time ago. <laughs> Meaning, who is she living with? She might be disappointed. She'll probably be disappointed. Why? Because well, you don't care. Because work for God because there is punishment if you do, do something, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I do lots of things against the will of God, and he's certainly been pretty good to me in my life. Poo, 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 poo. I have everything I need. I don't know about that. I don't feel any pains over my head. I'm one of the people who probably in terms of all of the people who have ever existed on earth, have as good a life as just about anybody in the history of mankind. And that probably goes for just about everybody in this room. And you see, you said on earth. What? What? You said on earth. What about not on earth? What about after you die? Because isn't this punishment coming in the, in the next life? Judaism not is not about life. punishment. Oh, yeah, there no, is I know, such I know a it's thing. not about punishment, but there is punishment, though. The, 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 even that punishment, even that punishment is a function of simply cleansing me from a certain state of being that I got myself into so that I can then appreciate something incredible that comes after so, that cleansing. Why do they call it punishment? The Torah, I mean... The Torah doesn't. Use, the, the Torah itself doesn't very rarely why uses the word. Call it why do we call it punishment? Because that's the way it is in terms of because external. Wait, 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 hold on. I think I was answering your question, so let me answer it, I'm and then sorry. you can ask another one. 
the, the term punishment relates to the external aspect of it. Same way we talk about a parent punishing a child. What's, why is a parent punishing a child? What's that about? That the child should be a mensch. It's good for the child. Right? I mean, the, the proper parent. I mean, there might be a parent who's a, who's a maniac, but the, the proper parent. Where's punishment come from? It's as much or more an expression of love for the child than giving the child a cookie. Because it's harder to punish the child, because it, it takes energy on your part. It creates a certain temporary break in the relationship. The kid's not very happy when you punish them. Right? You just, I mean, it's a lot easier when a kid's happy than when they're crying, right? So it'd be easier to just ignore it. But you know, you can't ignore it. Why? Because then the kid's going to grow up to be obnoxious, and you don't want him to be obnoxious, okay? So you're going to have to talk to him about this. He'll relate to it in a complete, he'll call it a punishment. You won't. Hmm. Meaning, you will, but you, you realize where it's coming from. It's not really... punishment. Right. It's coming as more from your life. It, it's often harder to punish than to reward. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of energy to punish your children properly. I mean, to just give them a smack is easy. I mean, you know, it's not easy. But you know right? that That's not... That doesn't work. Right. That's actually interesting. In, the, in exactly that same verse that we just quoted... The Rebbe says something else that's amazing. Ela told us Yitzchak, then Avram, Avram, and then once again Yitzchak. Yitzchak is separated from Yitzchak. Avram's together with Avram. Two words together, Avram, Avram. Yitzchak is separated by many words. Why? Avram is love. Love can be shown quickly and impulsively. Gvura, din, stop, think about it. Separate the deed from the response to the deed by thinking about the proper, useful response. That might be gvura, might be din, might be something harsh, but never meet out a harsh punishment impulsively, because that won't work. Think about it first. Yitzchak is separated, which is really, the Reb says, a lesson in education, a lesson in bringing up children. Now, we don't always live up to that, but... It's a, certainly a lesson that's worth living up to. You want to punish your child? My wife, we were talking about it at Shabbos, and my wife told the story about a particular Rav who punished his child two weeks after they did what they did. Why? The kid asked. I don't understand. I did this two weeks ago. Like what? He said, because I wanted to make sure that, I, that what I was doing was based on love and not the anger that I felt after you did what you did. So I waited until I knew there was no anger left and how I could discipline you properly. Two weeks later. Now, you can't do that with a three-year-old because they, they don't know what you're talking about two weeks later, right? It has to be relatively soon in time, but not right away. Right? One of the things that they say to do, and it's very useful, is call your four-year-old. Could you come over here, please? Separate them from that situation. Bring them somewhere else. Even if you're sitting there, walk with them to somewhere else. Take a deep breath and then talk about it calmly. Then go take a baseball bat to your mirror in your bathroom because you're furious. Okay, that's your issue. But when you're talking to them, calm. Unless it's something dangerous. Right? Then you use this incredibly severe, horrible, screaming voice. Because they don't usually hear that. And then you can say in the calmest voice you have, I'm very upset that I had to talk to you in that voice in order to get you to listen to me. 
That shouldn't be. And they freak out. They go, whoa, who's this creature? Like, where did he come from? Right? They get that. You scream at them and leave. So, okay, so you scream to me again. Big deal. Right? I took a cookie and I was about to cross the street. It's the same reaction. Well, then crossing the street is like taking a cookie. So, I'm, I, you know, I take cookies when he's not looking. So I'll cross the street when he's not looking. No, no, no. Crossing the street, the kid gets an earful. He never, ever, ever heard you talk like that. You scare the living daylights out of him. Right. Why? Because this is dangerous. Took a cookie. Oh, I'm saying he took a cookie. Okay, so talk to him about not being a thief. Shouldn't take cookies when Tati says you can't take cookies or Mommy says you can't take cookies or whatever it is. But I mean, don't, don't, if, he, if everything is screaming and yelling, so he thinks crossing the street and taking a cookie is the same thing. So, I mean, he's, he's just four. Like, what does he know? Right? Okay. He's got to know that one is like absolutely not shy beyond the pale. Don't think of it. The other, okay. Say, no. <laughs> you know, don't do that. What if he's not looking? Eh. Your older brothers and sisters already told you that when they're not looking, you're allowed to take it. Just take it. Don't leave any crumbs. Everything's okay. <laughs> they know that. Right? Don't eat the dough. You know, mom's cooking cookies. You're not allowed to eat the dough. Right? So you best stick your finger in. That's the best part, I guess. So you stick your finger in the dough, but you have to make sure that there's not one of those ridges in the dough now, so you have to, like, smooth it out and make it look like it was before you stuck your finger in there. Okay. So if your mother responds to that of Vera, like, you know, something serious, so then... <coughs> okay, let's go back to... So Rebbe says something very interesting about all of Torah and mitzvahs. All of Torah and mitzvahs is a certain state of mysterious nefesh. Like, not, it's not heroic. There's heroic mysterious nefesh. We tell stories about people. In Russia, we tell stories about people in different situations throughout Jewish history who were Mesa Nefesh, unbelievable things, 100%. Drinking water in a court in Russia or whatever it happens to be, right? Rav Mendel putting on tefillin. They got a pair of tefillin in the camps. When Rav Mendel was in the camp, Rav Mendel spent 10, 12, 14 years. I'm not exactly sure. I've heard different numbers. I'm sure there's a real number that someone knows. I just don't know because I've heard so many different. But somewhere, it's 10, 12, 14 years in the camps in, in, in Siberia which he said were the happiest years of his life because he was there because of his Avis Yisrael. <coughs> he was there because he tried to save a Jew's life. But anyway, regardless of that, so, so, so it said that obviously putting on tefillin was not something that most Jews got to do in the camps. So uh, a pair of tefillin came. Someone smuggled a pair of tefillin into the camp and Rav Mendel wanted to put on the tefillin. They couldn't put it on in the barracks because the, 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 they were there. Like, the, first of all, there were Jews there who would tell on you. And there were... Russian soldiers watching because they want to make sure the Jews didn't do anything religious, especially people like Rav Mendel, who were there because they were spreading Yiddishkeit. So, so how did Rav Mendel manage to put on? He put on the tefillin outside. He got ten people to stand around in a circle, just like the mikvah in, in Prague. Ten people he knew to stand around in a circle, and he was in the middle of the circle, and he put on the tefillin. He rolled up his sleeve, and he put on the tefillin. It was so cold... His, his arm, that wasn't the problem, it was so cold that the leather of the tefillin froze and snapped when he wrapped it on his arm. It was freezing cold. You know, it was minus 30. Right? Ah, his arm. He just, you know, took, rolled up his arm. His arm was out there. That didn't, he didn't even think about that. The tefillin snapped. Why? There's tefillin. Well, you're going to not put on tefillin. 
it's minus 30 and my arm will get cold. I don't, I don't think that was part of his equation. I mean, if you were to ask Mendel, you can't ask him anymore. But if you ask him and say, you know, what did, what did you think about that? I would, I think he would look at you and think you're crazy. Why would I? Why? No, I mean, Azoivin it Andresh. Mendel was on that level, and the Rabbi talks about it, what's called the Messiris Nefesh Dikayid. And everything is Messiris Nefesh. Oh, so then what? So, but there's Messiris Nefesh that's, that's really just a function of a basic intellectual understanding of what's right. And the Rebbe's going to talk about even a Messiris Nefesh that's, that's, we might do a mitzvah just because it seems to be, you know, even, even not, not intellectually, it's just sort of as a natural thing to do. And the Rebbe's about to say, the Kevin Sha'amitis, we'll explain it in a minute. The Kevin Sha'amitis, the Messiris Nefesh. Since the true expression of Messiris Nefesh, self sacrifice, Messiris Nefesh Mamish, who, ha Messiris Nefesh Mitzad Yechido, is Messiris Nefesh that comes from Yechido Sheba Nefesh, the essence of the soul, the highest level, and we'll talk about why that is in a minute. Harenim, so therefore it's found, Shebechol in the Torah Mitzvahs, every aspect of a person's performance of Torah Mitzvahs, Afilu in Yonim Apshutim, even the simplest expressions of Torah Mitzvahs, that about those levels, what does it say in the Torah itself, in Chazal? She'ilmole nitna Torah, Yev also talks about it, that were the Torah not given, you would learn this from certain animals. I mean, there's certain things that you would learn from animals even if the Torah didn't tell you to, to do it. This, the most obvious, simple expressions of normal, healthy behavior. That happens to be a mitzvah, but if it weren't a mitzvah, you'd still do it. Okay, even that ultimately is sourced in Messiris Nefesh and the Messiris Nefesh of Yechidosh Nefesh. Why? <clears throat> You'd say, well, that's coming from, my, from, from either just simple observation of you know, what seems reasonable, or I have a feeling that this is the, I, I, I feel connected when I do this, or I intellectually understand on a, on a deeper, more sophisticated level that this is proper behavior, or I've reached the level of my rutzen, my will, being connected to the rutzen of a Kodesh Baruch why is it all yechida? Because the essence of something is the essence of every level of it, and that's the difference between the level of the essence of the soul as opposed to the other levels of the soul. Intellect is not emotion. Intellect and emotion are two completely different aspects of human reality. That's why you can't explain love to someone who never experienced love. You can't prove love in a laboratory. That does not mean love doesn't exist. You just can't prove love in a laboratory. Why? Because it's not an idea. You can prove ideas in laboratories. You can't prove emotions in laboratories. You, you could theoretically do something and show that when people experience a certain emotion, they, they're, they're, their heart rate is different, their brain works different. Who says that emotion is called that emotion? can't prove anything. You can just, based on basic, you know, Baruch Hashem, we all believe in love. Why? So hopefully we've experienced it. In, in, we've been shown it by someone else and we have shown it to other people. So we know there's this thing called love. Baruch Hashem. But, but intellect and emotions are two completely different states of reality. Right? Okay. Ratzayn. Ratzayn. Will is different than intellect. Aye, they, they, 
they relate to each other. They 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 have a uh, they 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 work together to make a human being. So you think about something and that might produce a certain emotion and or and you thought about it because you wanted to think about it. Okay, so of course they all work in concert. But they're different, completely different. <clears throat> so there's different levels of the soul. The essence of the soul, the essence of something is the essence of every level of it. Your DNA is the same DNA in your skin as it is in the, in the, in the most sophisticated part of your brain. It's all the same DNA. Right? Some point I said uh, hair and fingernails, and someone said, no, maybe hair and fingernails is RNA and not DNA or whatever. Okay, I don't remember who that was. I remember they were sitting on my right. I don't remember who it was. Okay, say it. So I won't say hair. I don't say hair and nails anymore. Skin. The thief leaves a little bit of skin at the scene of the crime. I think if he leaves a hair follicle, we also find him. But anyway, we know exactly who he is. <laughs> no problem. Skin. You lose a layer of it every day without knowing. <laughs> it just like disappears. <laughs> it's completely irrelevant. It's the chitzenius shibichitzenius. I mean, it's the most external part of you. Just this saran wrap that's holding you together so you don't blob all over the place, okay? And it just disappears. <coughs> your DNA is as much in there as it is in your intellect. Take your intellect, whatever that means. You'll find, I mean, you can't, right? But I mean, you know, take the person's intellect, you'll find their DNA in there. Their brain, you'll find DNA everywhere. The essence of something is the essence of every level. That means the essence of the soul is the essence of every level of the soul. Essence isn't up there and something revealed is down here. The essence of revealed reality is that essence. It's the nature of essence. It's what it is. It's not revealed reality. There's a revealed reality. What's the essence of that revealed reality? Which by definition is hidden. The difference between, between revealed reality and essential reality. Essential reality is not revealed reality. It's the essence of it. The reason your hair is black is because of your genetic code. But it, 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 the genetic code is hidden. Okay. <coughs> so the essence, of, the essence of your soul is expressed in every single action you do, meaning there's a level of padabisholam in the simplest performance of every mitzvah that you do. Because that's the panemius of what you're doing. Really, why are you doing this? What's the panemius? But panemius, the innermost expression as to why it is that you're putting on fillin? Because you're essentially connected to a Kaddish Baruch. That's who you are. Ah, you are completely unaware of that. Never heard of that. And, and, and you put on fillin. Why do you put on fillin? It's all sorts of external reasons and revealed reasons why you put on fillin. Why? You grew up in a house where your father told you to put on fillin. He bought your parent fillin two months before your bar mitzvah. And you put on fillin. I mean, what's the big deal? Of course I put on fillin. I was taught to put on fillin. Why do you wear pants? I don't know, because like, you wear pants. I don't know. Like I was, I was told you wear pants. Don't you wear pants? Aren't you supposed to wear pants? I don't know. No one walks around without pants. I mean, now they walk around with funny pants, okay? Beside it, where half the pants are missing. Beside it, okay. Beside it, but still, everybody wears pants, right? Why do you wear pants? Because your parents told you. you, you did, like, they taught you from day one that, you know, you get out, you wear pants. This Shabbos, we had these three completely delicious, cute little children visiting. They came with their parents. And, 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 and Mutti decided, Mutti spent most of the day in pajamas. When Mutti put on his Shabbos clothes, so what was the fit? Say D. Look. I'm in Shabbos clothes. 
Oh, you look great. You look great. Right? Why? Because he's been taught since day one. You wear pants. Like, what's the big deal? So if you're taught to put on tefillin, you put on tefillin. Now, wearing pants isn't coming from Yechidah Shabbanefesh. Why? Because you're wearing pants. Okay, you know what I'm saying? That's what people do. Why are you putting on tefillin? Even when you're 15 and you're putting on tefillin simply because that's what you were taught to do and you haven't thought about it before, after, ever, maybe the first time you put it on you were really excited, maybe the first two weeks, and then after that became something completely and totally uninteresting. But you do it anyway. Where's that coming from? Ultimately. Yechidah Shabbanefesh. The essential connection of the Yid to the Ebersh. Ultimately, the Pada B'Sholem is expressed in every single act you do. Yeah? What if you don't do it just... Just be, like, what do you come to the point where where you just don't do it after you said what you just said? Because your conscious reality is so divorced from your essential reality that you came made a conscious decision not to do it. But you can absolutely, hundred percent. That means now my consciousness is disconnected from my essence. But before my consciousness disconnected before because you don't necessarily know why you're doing it, right? So isn't it still connected? Even though you still might be doing it, you don't know the reason why you're doing it. You're right. But the power of the mitzvah is it makes that connection. That's what's so astounding. Is it so you, you don't well, know. Wait, you keep interrupting when I'm answering your questions, which isn't polite. I'm sorry. Right? Don't be sorry, just don't interrupt. Being sorry never helps. I mean, you know. So, so... The, 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 what's so astounding about a mitzvah is a Kaddish Baruch who gave us the means to connect to that level of our reality, even if we don't know it. That's what's so astounding about a mitzvah. A mitzvah isn't the imposition of some behavior so we'll be well behaved and we won't make in our pants. It's not what a mitzvah is, you know, spiritually or physically. It's not what a mitzvah is about. A mitzvah is, is this incredible opportunity that a Kaddish Baruch Hu gives us to connect to the highest level of reality in ourselves and in godliness itself. So what if I'm not aware of that? It's still what's happening, right? If a person isn't aware of the fact that eating an orange has a lot of vitamin C, that doesn't mean that they're not getting vitamin C. They're getting vitamin C. They just don't know what vitamin C is. Okay, Seder. So, okay, that, now on an even deeper level, the mitzvah is what it is. And it's this incredible opportunity to connect. And that's what it does. It is, the word mitzvah means connection. It, it produces this unbelievable connection to a state of being completely transcendent of what I experience consciously. I'm not aware of that. Okay, say there. But that's what happens. Same way I'm not aware of the, 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 the vitamin C in the orange, but that's what happens. Because the nature of a mitzvah is to create that incredibly supernatural and transcendent connection. So now, what if consciously I decide I don't want that connection? Say to don't eat oranges. You won't have any vitamin C. That's a good analogy. Right? No, well, because uh, what, uh, what, what, what has to happen in our head? We have to realize that elokus, godliness, is as natural as physical reality. I mean, the, the, the nature of physical reality makes sense to us. Okay, there's something called, an orange has vitamin C. I know it, I don't know it. Doesn't matter. Well, mitzvahs are the same. Mitzvahs are even more so, but at least that. There's a natural reality called a mitzvah. What, what does a mitzvah do? It, it does something. It's real. It's healthy. Oranges are healthy. Mitzvahs are healthy. Eating rotten oranges is not healthy. Not doing mitzvahs is not healthy. 
the person who eats rotten orange, the person who is busy drinking, instead of drinking orange juice every day, is drinking orange crush every day. Right? Unbelievably unhealthy. Right? Is there necessarily going to be an expression of that in their physical reality over time? No. Not necessarily. There might be, but there might not be. Right? Okay. Might they be aware of it? No. They're eating such junk, it's unbelievable. Doesn't make any noticeable difference. Okay, but you and I will still say it's unhealthy. Okay, so do Averis, unhealthy. Will it make a noticeable difference in the person? Not necessarily. Maybe, but not necessarily. Does that mean it's not healthy? That it's healthy? No, it's still unhealthy. Just it's not necessarily noticeable in reality. The same way, uh, you know, there, there's all sorts of people who live to be 95 smoking cigarettes. Are cigarettes healthy? No. Can you live to be 95 and smoke? Yes, absolutely, 100%. All sorts of people. There's also also people who died at 55. <laughs> but there's all sorts of people who live to be 95. And the cigarette smoker, I assume, says he'll be the guy who lives to be 95. I mean, he doesn't think that, you know. That's what happens to someone else. Why? Because he feels fine. Now, cigarettes are a bad example simply because most people don't feel fine at a certain point. Like, you look at them, you know, you see the 75-year-old sitting there smoking a cigarette, he looks like a 75-year-old cigarette smoker. Okay, but... No, it's all right. But, you know, look, 